The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the Identity Matters Podcast. We're very excited about uh, sharing with you some of the most profound but yet simple truths that are available today from the Word of God. Interesting thing about making disciples today is that a disciple typically is associated with following a cult leader. I'm a disciple of whoever. So it doesn't really mean what it originally started out to mean. This particular lesson that we're going to cover on uh, discipleship in the making is going to share with you the basic original definitions of disciple. Now one of the key words that comes out of discipleship that is most familiar today, which is not being made use of by millennial parents today, is discipline. He who loves his children, Hebrews 12, he who loves his children disciplines his children. A lot of people have interpreted the term discipline as spankings. That is not true. Discipline is providing an infrastructure to behavior. It's the best way to say it. It's an infrastructure. If the child is moving beyond that boundary that is established by that parent or that pastor or that book or that whatever, if someone moves outside that infrastructure, the alarms go off. When the alarms go off, then the one who's responsible, authority, author, IT, means the one who wrote the book. So when God said that any authority that does exist, exists because of God, he's serious. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So it isn't the discipler, because the discipler is not the author of the book. The other thing about book that is rather unique is that the book of life is a person. The tree of life is a person. They're not objects. So in order to really truly understand and embrace the truth, you have to be a part of the tree to bear the fruit. In order to really truly understand the Word of God, you have to be in the Word and of it. It has to be your identity before you can quote it. So the parent's job, discipler's job, is literally to be in a position to set the child up to stay within the boundary lines of the Word of God, which is what our Godship message is about, so that they may be equipped, train up a child in the way that they should go when they get old, they will not depart from it. The reason why Gen Z has literally departed from the traditional doctrines today is their millennial parents screwed up. And as Pastor and I were talking about this morning, and why did the millennial parents screw up? 
because we did. Their parents, who we are now grandparents, were the ones that set them up. We are the ones that got into the the child training philosophy of let the child ask any question they want so they can have self-discovery of knowledge. Well, what do you think, Johnny? What's your conclusion, Johnny? What's your decision, Johnny? That's what we did. The only question that children should be asking their parents is, I don't understand. Help me understand this, Mom. And then Mom goes and gets her understanding from the structure of the Word of God and answers the child according to the author and perfecter of eternity. The exchanged life, this was a term that was originally used by Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a missionary sent to China. He was on a mission that God gave him. And those of you who have read his story realize one particular point of transformation completely changed his salvation experience. Realizing there was a difference between getting saved is a wonderful eternal blessing. But being discipled is a whole different deal. And Hudson Taylor's ministry really took off after he discovered what he ended up coining for us humanoids as the exchange life. Originally, he did not use it the way a lot of us use it today, and that is the appropriation of death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. It was explaining his salvation, the benefits of salvation. So the term was originally used by Hudson Taylor to define the, the exchange life that takes place upon salvation, and we exchange our life for his. Many teachers of the cross also use this term to explain the indwelt believer appropriating their co-death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. One of the most common scriptures used within the exchange life community is Galatians 2.20. For those of you who are listening or unfamiliar with that verse, it is, For I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives within me. Well, a lot of people stop it right there, but the reality is there's more to be said around that powerful life-changing truth. It's done by the faith that is given to us that belongs to Christ. Anytime you use your faith, you're going to fail. I promise you. And I don't even make promises. This is basically the term we're going to keep moving forward through the generations because in the Greek, as Hudson Taylor found, there is a direct connection to an exchange. The Adamic nature dies you're given a new nature. 
And of course, that's Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at our first diagram. It's called the 77 Truths for the Seven Areas of Life. This is our full training program that we've been working on for many years. The first being the seven introduction topics, each having their own diagrams depicting the necessity of equipping someone. So we have, you know, the exchange life, which is what I just talked to you about. The models of madness is what we call it. The different models that are out there that people use to try to help people. And out of the 12 primary models that are used by the world today, only one of them is through the Christ is life, Christ doing the ministering through the disciple or to help someone. We talk about the phases of discipleship and the, the discipleship, what it really means and discipling others. What is our goal? What's supposed to be truly the results and conclusion? Today, you're in the seven teachings. Seven teachings, Godship, problems, my flesh, repentance, identity in Christ, forgiveness, and loving others. Then from there, we take it to the seven areas of life. You'll get a few of those areas thrown out to you today, but training has to be set up under every single area of life. So for example, our new Gen Z series that we're taking people through each Sunday night is addressing parenting and children. So we're just putting a new face on it to attract the present generation. That's how we do this. All that's going to be recorded. Our transcriber who is here today, she is going to translate it into a book for me. And then we get it all polished up the way that we want and hopefully get it released January of 2019. It'll be called Gen Z Discipling a Post-Truth Church. Church is culture. Culture is a generation. So that's what we do. So those areas of life are practical training we want to put together regarding the seven teachings. And then we talk about in that training the seven deadly sins. And then the seven applications of these seven teachings. Then the seven victories, is which is what results from it. And then the seven phases of the cross is really taking it beyond yourself. Here's a principle my cardiologist helped me understand. And in using this illustration, I don't want to offend anyone. But it is a really true principle of the physical area of life. So when I first started this cardiology thing, I was 247 pounds. And then after I came out of the hospital, I was, you said 186. And then from getting out of the hospital to recently, you know, I crept back up to 207. Anyone who knows me, I don't care about diets, I don't care about numbers, I don't care about that stuff. But the spiritual principle that God showed me was, if you are constantly eating spiritual truth and doing nothing with it, you become a fat baby. So to take 
consumption of something, it has to be given out immediately. And the way you evaluate the spiritual is through the physical. It's the truth. I don't like it. I don't like hearing about that. If you're talking with an anorexic, which I have to do quite regularly because it is a huge problem in the world today, they are starving themselves from true, rich facts. Right? There's a verse in the Bible that blows people away once they read it and pray over it. For the fat belongs to the Lord. So what's the number one thing that Satan has embedded into our culture today for all of us twiggies? Denying the Lord his fat. You see how these principles that are given in the seminaries of life are literally unfolding who God is. People always go to the extremes of truth or to the extremes of lies. And then they come contact a disciple and say, I have a question. And they talk to you about their hangnail. Really? When's the last time you were weeping on your face before the Lord because little Ginger Sue over in mid-Africa is being raped repetitively every day by a Muslim who hates her because of her faith. And your hangnail, you think, is going to bother me? That's what happens. We become so navel-gazing that it's impossible for us to see the full picture of the 77 truths. The enemy is a master at this. Our next diagram, which is the generational gospel, I-E-Y, I penciled out generational ethics. We'll just kind of see if that's the name of the 15-minute show that we're going to be using. But here's how it works. I came out and I got discipled. I moved from Iowa to Denver. I got personally discipled by Dr. Solomon. And in that discipleship process, I became a trained discipler. My mentor happened to have the biblical mandate down on that what you receive, give it away. Don't hang on to it, fat boy. Give it away. So that the flow of eating and being thirsty for the Lord will keep you healthy. There's our principle. So generation one, I became his first generation in that scenario. And so people would come in and during my training, I had to disciple others, an intern. Then I noticed that people I had no contact with were coming in saying, thank you, thank you for those truths that you said about blah, blah, blah. And I don't even know who they are. You know, Bob shared with me this diagram that you shared with him. That's what you're looking at. If it stops with you, you become a fat boy. Spiritually. And you'll implode. So it should be the goal of the discipler to turn their disciplees into disciplers so that the word of God can be passed on, passed forward. So note that the primary discipler discipling the trainee, the first generation, 
of disciples, the person, whoever it is that's in front of you, your brother, sister, mother, cousin, neighbor, stranger, or enemy. It doesn't matter. The person doesn't matter. It's whether you're willing to pay the cost of being slapped, kicked, tortured, you know the list. That's what gets in the way. The consequence of embarrassment in in trying to disciple someone is the number one reason why most people will not disciple someone. They're embarrassed. They're afraid they're going to be wrong. They're afraid they're going to fail. And to that I say, great, because you are a failure. Christ is the only success in me. He's the one that must do the overflow. So number two, the first generation disciple shares what they have learned with the friend or loved one, which is second generation. The second generation disciple is trained to give what they have learned to another. Third generation. And this should start right around the fifth time that you talk to them. Some people are so incredibly insecure. I have been one of those my entire Christian life. So incredibly insecure that the discipler has to wait years to push them. Years! Because they got excuses. Well, I stutter, right? It's endless excuses. Well, what's a discipler to do about that? Nothing. You have to wait, as Jesus has to wait for you until you really get it. Some get it as soon as they hear it. They're sitting under a tree in mid-Africa. They hear this principle taught to them, and they have their transforming moment. And they go out and become world-known preachers of who they are in Christ. Then there's others 40 years later who go, Am I ever going to get this? That kind of knowledge is from the mind of Christ. It's not from what you've studied or who you've listened to. It's inside his mind. Christ's identity is his father. He even referred to himself as a father. The mind of Christ is inside the Holy Spirit. You think the Holy Spirit's just a power in there and is brainless? I think not. Then the Holy Spirit is inside the true born-again believer. So what are my thoughts? No, they're not his thoughts. What are my ways? It's not his ways. But see, God loves us so much, he'll talk to you about your hangnail for ten years. Ten years he'll talk to you about your your hangnail. Fifteen years he'll talk to you about your hangnail. Forty years later, he's talking to you about your hangnail. I'm afraid to disciple others. When in reality, on the moment of your transformation, the next moment... You're supposed to give it away, fat boy. I'm putting myself in this category. 
I loaded up on carbs my entire adult life spiritually. I was so smart, I was stupid. And I was of no use to the Lord. Because I learned who I was in Christ. And Christ the whole time is going, let's say we're on our 15th year. Stephen, he starts all over again with me. It's not who you are, it's who I am in you. I did all of this work so that my Father would be in me, I would be in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would be in you, so I could be released through you. The entire Bible is built on that system. Join it or teach it. Your choice. Well, I've got to teach it. In fact, I've got to go get a doctorate degree in it. That's human thinking, human logic. It just doesn't work. The definition of a discipleship is this. Disciple means a learner, one who willingly accepts instruction. Discipler, which is not even in the English dictionary yet, you can put it in your Word document, it's going to come up as a misspell. But a discipler is actually a Greek word. It's an instructor or a teacher who produces followers of a discipline of a particular teacher. Now stay with me on this. A discipler is taking, like me working with Shannon, and if I'm going to do it my thoughts my way, I'm going to turn him into me. Right? It does work in this context. Happens in over 3,000 religions around the world. It works very effectively. So people are walking around. You say the Zers, for example, are pulling away from their millennial parents who like to look retro. The blending of four or more cultures. That's why they dress funky. Grandpa's hat, grandma's sweater, great-grandpa's shoes. You see what I'm saying? The Zs are saying that they're going to form a complete different look that's individualized and self-created. Now, when I heard that from two of the leading research ministries, I knew we're at the end because they'll create a new God. And who do you think that's going to be? Gentleman in a suit, beautiful blonde hair, blue eyes, knows the word of God backwards and forwards and calls himself the Christ. That's where it's going. Everything's leading up to that for him. So now if I take Shannon and I my job as a discipler to lead him over to the primary instructor, Jesus Christ. I'm just the vessel to get that done. That's what this means. But that teacher, like I said, can be absolutely anyone. Finally, uh, discipline 
is to produce influence conscious will and action through methods of correction to promote conformity to divine truth. If you pull one of these components out, you don't have discipleship. Pull the disciple out, you got nothing. Talking to the walls, like most Christians do. They call it talking to themselves. But what they're really saying is, I'm begging for a disciple People who talk to themselves, who think they're talking to the Lord, which is a joke, they're talking to themselves to convince themselves that they're not rotten and foolish and, and failing. When if they actually did talk directly to the Lord, the Lord would say, you are a failure. That's why I came. I spent my entire life investing in that one principle that he who thinks he's something when he's nothing deceives himself. And you're trying to flip this around with your pop psychology and constantly find compliments from a humanoid? What is wrong with you? No, he's not going to ask that question because he knows what's wrong with you. Humans are desperate for the approval of people. Thumbs up. You know why Facebook took the thumbs down off of Facebook? Because it produced more results than the thumbs up. We are a frail people, and we think our opinions matter. So what Facebook did is they just said, we're going to focus on the thumbs up. All things, all pathways lead to a single result. And that's how our system works in the world, and human thinking works exactly the same way. Now, here's what discipleship is. Discipleship, the process in which an instructor, teacher, or mentor uses to influence a willing learner, follower, uh, particularly a leader in beliefs and deeds, then you have that which can be applied to 3,000 plus religions. And then Christ-centered discipleship is a servant leader, disciple of Christ Jesus, who is compelled to voluntarily, voluntarily instruct others in becoming a follower, which happens at first, I'm using the term appropriately, a follower of Christ Jesus in truth and deed. You see, once you have the follower, once Shannon starts following Jesus Christ, that's not salvation. That's not a Christian. Christ knows that. You see, when the disciples decided to follow Jesus, which is where we get our term, Christian means Christ follower. They were following Jesus. They weren't saved. Not a single disciple was saved. None of them. They couldn't even have salvation until he was resurrected and ascended to his father. And the Holy Spirit, released from heaven, fell on the disciples and were filled with the Spirit. We set churches up on each phase, and that's wrong. So they're followers of Jesus until Jesus looks at Peter and says, You know, Peter, you're going to deny me three times for the cock crows. I would never do that. You are the Son of God. You are, and he proclaims all this self, self, self theology. I listen well to my master. And he's like, 
you will deny me. That you even know me. You're going to deny my existence and your association with me. I'm sure Peter walked away from that prophetic utterance with a bit of despair and a bit of, I think my discipler is a little off because he obviously doesn't understand my commitment. And of course we know that's exactly what happened. And Peter, as well as the rest of them, went from followers to going to these meetings that were called Pentecost and got indwelt. That's what this conference is about, is to show you the difference. You're not going to heaven, follower. You're not. Unless you're indwelt by him. Let's take a look at our components of discipleship. Our components of discipleship is very simple. Biblical doctrines produce beliefs. From beliefs comes righteous thinking. Righteous thinking forms identity. And behavior comes from identity. Next column. Going across, we find reproof. Reproof reveals lies. And produces problems. By providing proof or rejecting those lies, righteous choosing can take place, which means proper discipleship can actually ensue, resulting in walking in and after the Spirit. And then we go to the correction phase. Challenges believers to turn from their old patterns that ultimately produce Righteous choosing, which leads to effective discipleship and the appropriation of walking in and after the Spirit. And then finally, the instruction phase opens the door for training and living righteously. These elements convert the disciple into a discipler. As Peter was later told to go ye into the world and make disciples. It went from a follower's instruction to a compelling response to the discipler, Jesus. Now, if you take Gen Z and millennial generation, and you go just through those four items, doctrines is a huge issue for them. Quoting the Bible means nothing anymore. That's your interpretation. I'm not even sure I believe that the Bible is the absolute word of God. As one church in this community made a public statement with. It's a problem. Whereas reproof, I'd like to see you correct a millennial who is in active defiance. And then correction is actually getting the spoon out to spank them. I'd like to see that happen. That's why I say to a lot of the millennial parents, I say, don't tell me you love your children. I'm not buying it. Because my standard is God's life, and he says he who loves his children will discipline. Bear not the rod. And they're like, well, I don't spake my children. 
I train them and teach them how to make their choices. The reason why that the world is so afraid of the spanking thing is because of abusive parents, because mommies and daddies and grandmas and grandmas, and they're out of control in their own lives, so they become angry very quickly and end up harming their children. So we're basing our doctrine upon a reaction of someone else that screwed up. How's that for a worldview? And it's working. Let's take a look at the profiles of man. This is a critical, critical pictorial because the first line you're looking at the top of this diagram is an unsaved person, and they know it. They're not ashamed to say, I am not a Christian. Number two is a true indwelt Christian, and that is one who knows the day of their salvation as well as they are secure in knowing who they are in Christ, in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. That is hopefully all of our listeners out there is where they're going to end up when they're done with this process as they know who they are in Christ. Not just I got my ticket and I'm going to heaven. You better hope you do. Because the word of God makes it clear that there's a working out of your salvation and that doesn't guarantee that you are going to make it. Or why would it have to be worked out? Theology has messed up our world. The simplicity of God makes the decision if you're coming or staying. That's it. And a true follower needs to wake up to the reality, maybe I have not had the Peter indwelt moment. Maybe I've been a follower. Huh. The following group are the leading percentage of the ones calling themselves Christians. The Muslims have formed a new branch to their faith. It's called Chrislam. It's a blending of Christianity and Muslim beliefs. The Hindus have been teaching and preaching for years that all pathways go to Christ, God, that is the number one belief of the Gen Z generation. The number one. And, and the oldest is only 18. How in the world can a six-year-old start understanding who God is? Because they're on their smartphones. Religion is bred through every app in one fashion or another. Going through the external to reach the internal of that child. That's why there's over 150 apps designed just for the Gen Zers. Then you have true Christian, but walking after the flesh is one of the certain moments in their life where they say, well, I, I know I got saved when I was 18 years old at, at church camp. I, I know I was saved. But then walked after the flesh after that. And so they 
don't really care about arguing about the basic doctrines of salvation, but they're a bit confused because they don't know how to live life. So they know they're truly saved, but they're walking after their flesh, so they look like unbelievers. You couldn't walk up to that person and go, man, I can tell you're a Christian. They can only say that if they hear you talk. When in reality, it's not your walk. And then finally, number four is unsaved, but they think they are saved. This is what I classify as the emergent church, the emergent believer, uh, which that term is falling to the wayside. So I try to stick with the term Church of Laodicea, because that will never get outdated. It's a lukewarm church. It's a lukewarm person. They actually believed they approached the cross and went through the cross. This is what Peter was suffering with, that they didn't go through the cross. They went around the cross, adopted the beliefs of those people, and continued to add human thought to God's thoughts, and it turned out lukewarm. That's what makes lukewarm. A little hot, a little cold, a little hot, a little cold, and it's worthless. And that's what these people do. So you're either unsaved and you know you're not saved. You're a true indwelt believer. You know who you are in Christ. That's the straight line. Three, you are a true indwelt believer and you're walking after the flesh and people can't tell the difference. Or four, you're just lukewarm. You're going to hell. You can't go past go or collect 200 bucks. But you think you will. The toughest group to disciple, if you haven't picked up on already, are the lukewarm people. Our law and grace diagram, you'll have to actually study this to get the full understanding of this, but Christians typically get placed between two points of law and grace. For example, the victorious Christian is a fair, balanced between high grace and high law. Embracing the fullness of grace while respecting the law of the spirit of life. Our generation today pulled out law, left grace. This is where we get our cultural term, gracilistic. Everything is graced. So you say that to an unbeliever and they say, well, it's a good thing that's under the grace of the Lord. And they're actually going to hell. And you're not defining salvation for them. You're not responding to them saying, well, of course you're going to hell. Unless you've been indwelt by Jesus Christ. That's different. Now we can talk from a different book. But most people whine and complain to someone else because they want their head to start nodding and pat their back and cry with them and do all this emotional millennial stuff and walk away going, that person makes me feel loved, accepted, and forgiven. Well, yeah, I'm getting that from this boy. I'm not going to pretend you're saved to get you to feel better so I can get my thumb up. What you're going to get is clear doctrines going, are you sure you're into wealth? You see, high grace... And high law 
is a true proactive indwell believer. I cannot take the risk of sending someone and oiling the slide of sending someone to hell. It, it just cannot be done that way. The second is the controlling Christian. The controlling Christian is positioned between high law and low grace. Basically an authoritarian or legalistic believer. This one pretty much speaks for itself. Number three, the neglectful Christian is one who neglects order, authority, and is liberal slash lukewarm in their doctrines of thought and function. This category is typically where the lukewarm church of Laodicea doesn't mean every believer in that church thinking is unsaved, but they do function that way. They're very neglectful. What happens to the next generation is they go find their own God that's a little more firm. Now, I'm serious about that. Do you know the stringent requirements of most of these 3,000 religions is far worse than the Bible? Buffeting the body, exercise this, do this, meditate on... The rules are endless. And here Christianity, the freest form of thinking in Christ Jesus, has many rules that have already been fulfilled by their Savior. That's why he came to fulfill the law, so you don't have to beat yourself with it. But yet they run off to a rule-oriented religion. Says you have to kill at least one Christian in your entire span in order to receive these 18 rewards. Really? Have to kill someone? Yep. But yet they hate Christianity because of the rules? Well, stupidity never has a great dictionary. Then the final one is permissive Christian. And that is a getting stuck between low law and high grace, and that is basically what I was defining for you earlier. And then that happens the same thing in task and relationship. You have the active Christian who has the balance between high relationship and high task. Of course, anyone who works with me on anything, you'll know something very quickly is, let's get over your hangnail so we can get on to the task at hand. What do we need to do with this truth? And then the next one is high task, low relationship, and those basically are the ones driving you without any concern at all for relationship. Because the completing of the task is going to benefit them directly. And then low task and low relationship is this Christian that doesn't understand the importance of faith and works, of course. They're just lazy. And then the final category is high relationship and low task. And everything is about, but am I okay with you? They want the thing, the environment, or whatever it is, to be comfortable before there is relationship. 
Our next diagram on where are you, this comes directly from Dr. Solomon's book, Handbook to Happiness. He was blessed with the, the aha of these phases that God took the people of Israel through. The Egypt is the phase of the unsaved. The Red Sea is the spiritual birthing coming through the Red Sea was not done by their own works. It was done by the miracle of the act of God. That's the salvation list that you see in that box. The wilderness box that you see there is someone who has made it through the Red Sea, but everything's about them. This I need to tell you, and this is not just coming from me, it's coming from other mentors and teachers of that teach the self-life world versus the Christ-life world. But 90% of everyone who says they're a Christian falls into the category of the wilderness box. They never get out. There's people listening right now, and I don't care what country you're in, what church you're a part of, there are people that are listening right now that are never going to go into Canaan. You say, well, Canaan comes after I die and go to heaven. No, it doesn't. That's why there's a working out of your salvation, to have you begin to function with the Canaan benefits while you're still here on earth. Canaan is that living out of the exchanged life by way of releasing Christ from within you. It's what Canaan was all about. There's still problems, right? I mean, they had a battle of Jericho almost immediately. It's how the battle is approached. So God tells them to march around the city for seven times, shouting silly things and singing songs and, you know, doing all this real funky stuff because God wanted to make a point. It isn't about your works. It's not about your warfare. It's not about your swords. Just do what I say. Walk around the city seven times, shout out these things. When I decide to drop the walls of strongholds, I will do it. It's the exchange life. No self-effort. And that's the way it was to be battle after battle. Here's our bottom line for this message. Many self-proclaimed Christians put their entire Christian experience in the day of their salvation. Or what they think is their salvation. Once saved or not, they continue to function by making use of their own mind, will, and emotions. The result is it turns that person into a very opinionated, arrogant person. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.